Castle. So this morning we move on from the meditative cultivation of compassion to that of empathetic joy. And as you're aware in this, in this cycle, I've been focusing especially on the, the Mahayana liturgy, the Mayan approach to these four measurables, really turning each of them into the great, the great loving kindness, the great compassion. And so, for the liturgy of the great compassion, you re- you recall this one phrase, well, the whole phrase, why couldn't we all, why couldn't all sentient beings be free of suffering and the causes of suffering? May we be free. May I free us. So suddenly it becomes personal. May I take on that responsibility and then calling for blessings that one may be enabled to do so. That personal element of taking on responsibility is exactly what shifts it over from simply boundless compassion to the great compassion, which is really a characteristic of the Mahayana tradition, the Bodhisattva way of life. Years ago, I think it was almost 40 years ago, I was reading the Jewel Ornament of Liberation, the great, the great classic from the Gaikyuva tradition written by Kampopa, a direct disciple of Melarepa. And very early on in the text, he refers to this great compassion. And he said, when this great compassion is aroused and it's taking on this responsibility, I mean, it's, it's, it really is almost inconceivable because the Buddhist worldview is more or less about the same size, if not larger than the modern cosmological worldview with a hundred billion galaxies. Um, taking on the responsibility to liberate all sentient beings from suffering and the causes of suffering. And he said, when this arises, when this genuinely arises, that aspiration, and not only an aspiration, or may it be, may it be, but actually a commitment. Actually a commitment. Ah. Then he says, that, and, and the phrase in Tibetan, I remember it because I was reading in Tibetan, I was just learning Tibetan at the time, Tekpa Chimberik Sepa. It arouses literally one's Mahayana nature, it arouses the Mahayana family, or I think really it's nothing more or less than, that arousing such an aspiration stirs or awakens your own Buddha nature. Right. Because if it's coming from any other level, as I've mentioned before, and it's so obvious, if it comes from any other level, that aspiration, that kind of commitment, it's kind of nuts. And it doesn't make any sense. You know, Only from that one dimension from the level of Buddha nature, does this resolve to liberate all sentient beings from suffering and its causes make any sense at all. And so it's kind of a top-down approach. There's a bottom-up approach that we've seen in the Dzogchen, of really going right for, I mean, the Shamadha Vipassana, into the texture, the breakthrough, to realize one's own pristine awareness, which is equivalent to ultimate bodhicitta. And by fathoming that depth by means of wisdom, then, as Jujum Lingba says, then spontaneously emerges the relative bodhicitta. Out of that would come great compassion. So the, it would be the wisdom first. Wisdom first realizing that dimension of awareness. And then from that, ultimate bodhicitta, the relative bodhicitta, spontaneously emerging. So, as Jujum Lingba says, you don't need to look elsewhere. You don't need to try some other method to develop bodhicitta. But simply realize ultimate bodhicitta and then the relative comes out spontaneously. Whereas, there is also this complementary approach, and that is come in from the method side, the skillful means side, arouse the great compassion, and in so doing, it begins to stir something in the depths, the uttermost depths of one's own being, stirs one's own Buddha nature. You know, stirs it, starts to wake it up. 
So there's a real complementarity there from the Dzogchen coming from the bottom up and from the more, more relative aspect, from skillful means coming from the top down and stirring your rikpa, pristine awareness, your Buddha nature. So, so it is, that is the distinctive characteristic of this great compassion that moves beyond another whole dimension beyond simply the boundless compassion, which is common to the Shravakayana, the Mahayana, and so on. But this morning we moved into the cultivation of empathetic joy. And as we practice it in the earlier cycles, it really is taking delight in the joy, the virtues of oneself and others. But again, when we move into the Mahayana literature, liturgy, then as you may recall, once again, it's, it's presented as an aspiration and not simply as an emotion, as taking delight in others' joys, virtues, and so on. And so, here the liturgy runs. Why couldn't we be, why couldn't we all never be parted from joy or happiness free of suffering? That's the phrase. Why couldn't we all be free? What would, what would, what would prevent us all from never being parted from happiness that is free of suffering? Well, when you say happiness free of suffering, in the Buddhist context, you know you're talking about a very very broad bandwidth. Not only the blatant suffering, not only the suffering of change, but even the deepest one could say, I think it would really be pretty indicative, existential suffering, our fundamental vulnerability to suffering because of because of delusion. Why couldn't we all never be parted from such a state of well-being, of genuine happiness, of eudaimonia, of great bliss, that has not even a trace of suffering in it? Why couldn't we be? From the perspective of the coarse mind, from the medium mind, oh, there are all kinds of reasons. Genetics, environment, brain chemistry, getting old, and so forth and so on. But from the perspective of Rikpa, there isn't any answer. There's no negative answer. There's no, there's no good reason why not. From that perspective, why couldn't we be? We could be. Then may it be so. May we all never be parted from genuine happiness, free of suffering. And then taking on the personal commitment, may I make it so. May I make it so. And then calling upon blessings. The Guru, the deities, the Buddhas, and so forth. Recognizing that right now, if any of us, I mean, I, I can't speak for you, but I will certainly speak with enormous confidence for myself. Do I right now, on what is it, October 8th, do I have the capacity to make sure that all sentient beings are never parted from genuine happiness, completely devoid of suffering? Oh, I think not. <laughs> yeah, that was easy. Oh, that was one of the fastest decisions I've come to in a long time. Do I have the capacity right now? Oh, no. I can't even cure myself from a common cold. You know, let alone make sure that no one is ever, ever separated from the bliss of a Buddha. But then, then, then we call on blessings. That's what Dharma is for. Then we call on the blessings of the one's own guru, our own guru of the Buddhas and so forth. Well, if I can't do it right now, may it be so, but it's kind of placing a marker in the future. This is my commitment. And the future, however long it takes, three countless eons, seven countless eons, one lifetime, two lifetimes, whatever it is, but here's placing a marker in the future. This is my commitment. I can't carry it through right now. But this is my commitment, that I will do everything necessary to be able to fulfill this commitment as soon as possible. So, 
empathetic joy in this regard looks an awful lot like bodhicitta. So as we venture into the meditation, without further ado, um, first of all, I'd like to interrupt myself. We have multiple honored guests. I'm delighted to see Nick and Michelle with us once again. Uh, but also, one of my oldest Dharma friends, Adam Engel, came in just a wee tad late. And Adam Engel, you probably know the name, is one of the, together with our beloved and late friend, Francisco Varela, the two of them co-founded the Mind and Life Institute. And when the two of these guys got together with this wonderful idea, together with His Holiness, um, the thought did occur that they might need some interpreters. And so I was out in retreat, as I recall, Adam, correct me if I'm wrong, but I was out in retreat in a lone pine in the eastern Sierras, um, planning to be there for nine months straight, and I just finished my undergraduate in, in science and physics at Amherst. And Adam came out there and told me of his idea with, with Francisco to start these meetings with His Holiness. And His Holiness were very enthusiastic. So one could really say there were three founders, yeah? At, but you're in good company. His Holiness Dalai Lama, Francisco Varela, and this guy over here, Adam, that's not bad company. So the three of them decided, wouldn't it be nice to start some conferences, some meetings of His Holiness meeting with open-minded, very competent, distinguished scientists to explore the possible points of interface of productive, fruitful exchange between Buddhism and science. So Adam came out there to my retreat place up in the high desert and asked me whether I'd like to serve as co-interpreter uh, together with my, really one of my oldest, oldest friends, Tupton Jemba, oldest friends in Dharma. And uh, I was, I have a really gnarly, rigid mind, and I was so looking forward to just being in retreat the whole time. <laughs> yes, I'm much dumber than you thought. <laughs> but I thought, well, I'd really want to be in retreat. You know, I've been looking forward to this a long, long time, and this, and this conference was coming up kind of like during my retreat period. And so I went back. I had the audacity. I mean, Adam's jaw must have dropped a little bit. And I said, you know, if His Holiness would like me to interpret, then of course I'll break the retreat. But otherwise, I really want to be in retreat. So, his holiness, so Adam got back to His Holiness. <laughs> and, his, and His Holiness said, yep, bring on Alan. I said, okay, I'm in. <laughs> so that turned out to be one of the greatest blessings of my life, to have the great privilege on many occasions, not every single one, to, to co-interpret with actually taking a very happily and diminishing role because Tutankhamen's English has just gotten spectacularly good. His understanding of science has just gone through the roof. So my role as interpreter has kind of gone, has really has gone down to vanish point, down to zero, as he's gone just more and more accomplished. But uh, for a little while, I was able to serve in some modest capacity as interpreter, sometimes as a participant. And so Adam, welcome. Joining us here. Did I get everything right? Did I say anything incorrect? Okie dokie. Good. So, welcome. Adam is here for a few days with us. wanted to let him join our little transient sangha. And without further ado, let's jump into empathetic joy.
Settle your body, speech, and mind in a natural state. Then as we move our awareness into a more active mode, drawing from our memory, our imagination, intelligence, let's begin by bringing to mind those individuals who come to mind from our past over the course of our lifetimes. who shared with us their goodness, their kindness, obviously including our own parents and others who have contributed to our ever-so-important hedonic well-being. as well as those who have contributed to our genuine happiness. Help us find a path away from suffering and its causes towards awakening, towards genuine happiness. Attend closely to these individuals who have played such, such beneficial roles in your own life. Take delight in their kindness simultaneously in a sense of gratitude as well as empathetic joy in their own virtues and their kindness. With each outbreath, breathe out from your heart this light of appreciation, of gratitude, of joy.
And now expand the field of your awareness beyond those who have directly engaged with you, directly benefited you over the years. To those who are just one step removed, two step removed, five or ten step removed, have contributed to your well-being. We enter into the Mahayana meditation of reflecting upon the kindness of all motherly sentient beings. Each one in this lifetime or past lifetime. Having served us in all types of capacities as our parents, providing us with food, with shelter, with clothing, with medical care. Here in Phuket, all of the people on this island, directly or indirectly, the surrounding countryside, expanding, expanding the field of your awareness in this infinitely close weave, this fabric of existence. All of us arising in interdependence upon each other. Expand the field of gratitude to all those who directly and indirectly have contributed to your well-being, to enabling you to follow this path to awakening with each out-breath Breathe out the light of your gratitude and your joy.
Now let's shift from the cultivation of the Brahma Vihara, the divine abiding of joy, to great joy. Where we move to the resolve to repay the kindness of all sentient beings with the resolve, the commitment to bring each one to a state of ultimate well-being, completely free of all suffering. As you attend to all beings with the spirit of gratitude and the spirit of joy, in anticipation of leading each one to such a state of fulfillment. Breathe out this resolve. With each out-breath, breathe out the light from your heart and imagine leading each such a being to such a state of well-being. Perfect awakening. The liturgy flows. May I bring each one to a state of such well-being, free of suffering. May I be blessed by the gurus, by the awakened ones, that I may be able to do so. If you wish, if your heart is open to it, with each in-breath imagine drawing in the light of all the awakened ones, blessing you from all sides, converging it upon your body, filling your body, a light of purity, of wisdom and compassion, with each in-breath, receiving all the blessings of the awakened one. Now with each out-breath, breathe out from your heart this same light to awaken others to bring each one to a state of immutable bliss.
by the power of your imagination, move from the realm of actuality to the realm of possibility. With each outbreath, imagine all the beings around you emerging from suffering, finding release. And imagine each one becoming free. Release all appearances and aspirations. Let your awareness rest in its own nature. Luminous and pure.
Castle. These four practices I've been calling all along. The four immeasurables, which is a straight translation from Tibetan, Sanskrit, Pali, appears in all languages. These four are also, of course, called the four Brahma-viharas, the four divine abidings. And in the Kalama Sutta, the Buddha addresses these and says, whether or not you believe in reincarnation or karma, whether you believe there's continuity after this life, there's future rebirth, or not, either way, if you devote yourself to the cultivation of these four, then you can know that in this lifetime you've had a very meaningful life and it's all good and no regrets. If it's just these four, you don't do any other practice at all. Nothing, just the four. Then you can take a lot of satisfaction in your life. You can take mudita, you can take empathetic joy in your own life because it's good. And you have no need for any qualms, any any worries about the future. If, if there is no future after this life, then no worries. Instant liberation. All you have to do is stop breathing. Uh, third noble truth. Couldn't be easier. But if the awful truth, an awful A-W-E full truth, the awful truth is that there is continuity after this life, then you not only have a really good lifetime this time, but you have also no worries for future lifetime. Because he said then you'll be born in a Brahma realm, in a divine realm, within, within samsara. But really good samsara. You know, among gradations, five star. Five star accommodations. You know? Very good. So even a step up from here, if you can imagine. I think this is three star. This is definitely above. Right? And so, as a result of this, in terms of what is the kind of karma that is accumulated, that is cultivated through this, it propels you to a very favorable rebirth in the Brahma realm. Okay? There's Dharma there. It's not, it's not just happy place. There's better than Pinyakulada there. Maybe you have Dharma. But if you move these four over into the Mahayana mode, into the Maya mode, great loving kindness, great compassion, great empathetic joy, great equanimity, then clearly now it's another agenda. These four are like the great four great steeds that pull the chariot of the Mahayana. They are the very heartbeat of Bodhicitta, when it's great compassion, great loving kindness, and so forth. This is what makes Bodhicitta real. Authentic. Right. So if we think of the four as the, the four great stallions, the four great steeds that pull the great chariot of the Mahayana on your way to perfect awakening, then wisdom is all that's needed to make each of these four truly lead to perfect awakening. Wisdom is like the charioteer. So that which is pulling your wagon, your chariot, well, it's the four measurables. Coalesced is bodhicitta. But of course you need direction. It's not, it's not, it's, you need something more than simply the resolve, the aspiration and so forth. This is why the six perfections culminate in wisdom. Everything is for the sake of wisdom. So everything begins with compassion. It culminates with wisdom. The four great steeds are the four, the four greats, Mahamaitri and so forth. The charioteer is wisdom. And if there is that wisdom there and with this motivation, then every time you sit down to practice, even if it's for one minute, or three minutes, or half an hour, each time it's going along that path to awakening. So much more significant than having a really nice, how do you say, excursion to some Brahma realm. Enjoy your day.